When you have a deep foundation, you can make it through life's toughest moments. This message is the fourth in the series, I Will Go Deeper. The message is entitled, Unshakable Convictions, Part One. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Let's grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we uh, continue our series together entitled, I Will Go Deeper. And I want to talk uh, this weekend and Lord willing next weekend about unshakable convictions in your life, the importance of developing very, very deep convictions. Part of what we see in the world around us is a lot of shallowness, the shallow values and shallow commitments and shallow relationships. And what God calls each of us to is a deep life. He wants each of us to go deeper. And you, don't, you never arrive with God. It's an ongoing process. You never get to the point that you've gotten to that place that you're perfect or you've gotten everything together. But there's an ongoing process of going deeper because with God, the way up is down. You start by establishing foundations in your life. Jesus uh, talked about this in a number of places. One of the classic passages related to this in Matthew chapter 7. I'll not read it for you, but I'll just simply tell you about it. You're familiar with it, where Jesus told the story of two men building houses, and one man decided to build a house on the sand, and the other man decided to build his house upon the rock. He dug down to bedrock, and of course, both built houses, and uh, eventually the storms came to both of these men, and the man that had taken the time to go deep and to establish his house on rock, that was the house that remained, the guy that built his house on the sand. Obviously, he lost everything. And what you want to do in your life, we all want to do in our lives, is to make sure that we're establishing our life on bedrock, that there's something deep about your life. You don't have a shallow relationship with God or a shallow sense of confidence or conviction about God in your life. As we've been looking at the last couple of weekends, I've talked to you about the importance of dealing with this part of you on the inside called your, your soul, exactly. And we talked about the fact that if you're going to go deeper, you have to actually take the time and put the effort in to discover what's really going on down inside your soul and asking God to help you to discover stuff in you because if you don't realize what's in you, you'll never change the things that are coming out of you because we live our life from inside out. Whatever's in you is going to eventually come out. If you have anger in you, there'll be anger behavior that will come out of you. If you have hurt and rejection in you, it's going to be lived out of you in your life. And so whatever is in here comes out. And so we've talked about the value of establishing the right, right kind of heart perspective, having a whole soul, as we've talked about for the last couple of weekends together. And I want to talk about an additional thing that is so important for you that as we are working on our soul, as we're getting a whole soul, that at the same time we're also making sure that we, as a part of getting a whole soul, that we start thinking the right way, we have the right thinking, well, I'm going to use another word starting this weekend that we actually have the right convictions because your convictions really represent what I'm going to call the OS of your life and that's your operating system. If you're familiar with computer systems, you understand something about computers, you realize that every computer has an operating system. And uh, most familiar, mo we're mostly familiar with uh, Windows or Macintosh or Linux. Those are operating systems that are deep into, programmed into that. Si that's what makes the, the computer work. And so you don't really pay much attention to the operating system. You lay your applications on the top of the operating system, and it basically does things behind the scenes to get your work done for you. It is the deeper part of the computer. 
And that code is written in that establishes how data is going to be processed and how things are going to happen. All these things work together. You don't usually, again, pay much attention to the operating system, but you run the application. But a faulty operating system will mess up all your applications, correct? If you get a bug in your operating system, you've got problems. And the same is true in your soul, in your life, in your mind, that you have an operating system, if you will, that is running you. It's, it's directing your life day in and day out. If you have a faulty operating system that is in the way that you're thinking, the convictions of your life, you're going to be in trouble. It's not just enough to get the bad stuff out. You've got to get the good stuff in. Amen? Not enough just to get the bad things out of your soul. We've been talking about that the last couple of weekends, but in addition to getting the bad stuff out of your soul, you have to get the good stuff in. You have to make sure that the right thinking is there and the right convictions are there based upon, this is so important, based upon truth. You don't want a faulty system because when you know truth, truth sets you free, lies bind you up, right? With me on this? Okay. So it's so vital that we get our operating system correct. And so I'm going to talk to you uh, two things today about the convictions of your life and the operating system of your soul to help you to get some truth related to right thinking so it's not just, again, cleaning out the bad, but making sure that you get established in the bedrock of your soul the right convictions. Now, let me just tell you what a conviction is. A conviction is a solid, firm belief that you hold based upon truth, okay? A solid, unshakable belief. That's what it is, an unshakable belief. A conviction is something that you are willing to live for and, if necessary, die for. Let me say that again. A conviction is something you're willing to live for and, if necessary, what else? Die for. It is so real to you and you're so firmly committed to it that you're willing to give your whole life to it but if necessary, to have your life taken from you on the basis of it. So how many of you know that it better be true, right? Okay. If you're living for it and willing to die for it, it better be true. It better be established upon truth. And so we're going to take a look at two things uh, this weekend that will help us to begin that process. Number one, so write it down, taking notes today. The first thing is that you have to have firm convictions and beliefs about the moral authority over your life. It has to be clear. So I'm going to talk to you about moral authority. Who or what has the moral authority over your life? Who or what is telling you what is right and what is wrong? What's defining? What convictions are defining that for you in your soul? What operating system is directing you regarding what's right and what is wrong? I want you to note with me Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. For the Apostle Paul made very clear the importance of us checking out our moral authority operating system. Let's read this together. It's from today's Living Bible. Why don't we read it aloud and loudly all across the different campuses. Let's read together. Don't let others spoil your faith and joy with their philosophies, their wrong and shallow answers built on men's thoughts and ideas instead of on what Christ has said. Circle on your notes philosophies 
and shallow answers. Would you circle that, please? Philosophies and shallow answers. What I want you to think about with me today is that in the world in which we live, there are lots of philosophies about what is right and wrong, what is appropriate, inappropriate, all kind of philosophies, and I think you would agree with me, all kind of shallow answers about the problems we face in the world. Amen? And Paul writes and says, be careful, don't get spoiled by, don't get sucked into the world system out here that is filled up with all these different philosophies that are contrary to Christ and all these shallow answers that are not solidly established upon truth. Don't be spoiled by it. Do you know that even as a Christian believer, if you're not careful, you can get the wrong thinking in your brain, it'll spoil you. It'll, it'll damage the way you think and damage the behavior of your life. So again, to have a whole soul is not just getting the bad out, it's getting the right or the good in. So I'm going to share with you seven philosophies, actually six philosophies of the world. The seventh we're going to kind of set apart in its own category here in just a moment. I want you to be very clearly aware of some of the philosophies that are floating around our world today. Philosophy number one that we'll talk about is the philosophy of humanism. Many of you heard the phrase humanism before. Humanism is a philosophy that says that, uh, that, that their beliefs and values are based on the idea that man's good and we don't really need God, we don't need religion, man can fix every problem we have and so it's all centered in our answers being in humanity. Any problem we have, man can fix. I think we all realize that hasn't worked out so well, has it? The reality is that humanity does not have the answers to all of our problems and issues. If it had all the education that we have today and all the information we have, we would have a lot better world than we do. So man is at the center of humanism. Humanism says we can fix this ourselves apart from God. The second philosophy of the world is called relativism. And this is the belief that things are true or right for different people at different times. So what may be right for you may be wrong for me or whatever may be right for me may be wrong for you you and it may be right or wrong at any point in time there's no set moral authority at any point I get to choose what's right and wrong for me when I want it to be right or wrong for me it's relative truth and morality is relative and that's very much a philosophy of the world around us it's called relativism you can choose what's right and wrong based upon the situation or the circumstance or the personality the third philosophy that is very prominent in our world today is hedonism Hedonism is a belief that pleasure or happiness is a sole chief good. This is what you want. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants pleasure. And so just if it feels good, finish that. That's the philosophy. If it feels good, do it. So if it makes you feel good, if it warms you up on the inside, if you're happy about doing it, then it must be right. Let me tell you, some of the things that make you happy aren't right. Some of the things that might give you pleasure, these things don't equal being morally right. But the world will tell you there's this philosophy around us of hedonism that says, hey, don't worry about any moral code out here. If it feels good to you, then go ahead and do it. The fourth one is one that perhaps we don't think about a lot, but it's very much in our world today. Listen to some of our music. Listen to some of our commentators listen to the mindset of the world around us you will recognize something called nihilism 
And nihilism is a philosophy that says traditional morals and traditional values and traditional beliefs have no worth or no value. After all, life is meaningless anyway. And so nihilism is very cynical. It's very negative. It has a lot of despair in it. We, we have no meaning to life. Just do what you want to do because life has no value or meaning anyway. The fifth one. It's a philosophy that a lot of people have and they don't even realize it. See, sometimes, let me just say this before I cover this fifth one. Sometimes you don't even know, most of the time, you don't even know what your operating system is until you investigate. What philosophy are you operating on? What's driving your decisions in life? The fifth one is deism. Deism is a belief that there's a God who created the world but once he created the world, he, he, he stepped away and he's not actively involved in the world anymore. So it's sort of like, boom, I made you, now I'm gone, I'm out of here. And there are a lot of folks that, that believe that, kind of like, well, yeah, God, maybe, maybe there is a God, you know, maybe we can believe in God, but he's not really that much involved in stuff. He's just sort of like really distant off somewhere, doesn't really care about what's going on in our world. And many people have bought into that mindset, deism. The sixth one is, what is on your notes? Read it with me. It is me-ism. Did you know that was an ism? It is. It's very similar to hedonism, but it's more personalized. Me-ism is really this obsessive interest in me having what I want for my life so I don't live for anyone else. I take care of number one. It's all about me. It's very egocentric, self-centric, uh, it's, it's focused on what I can get out of life to the exclusion of people around me or the primary exclusion of people around me. Now, the seventh one really is a philosophy, if you will, a way of thinking. But all these other six are, are faulty in their core. Number seven has truth at its core, and that's called theism. Theism is this. Listen closely. Theism is the belief there is, that there is one God who created heaven and earth and humanity. That's what theism is. That I believe there's one God, and I believe that he is the creator of all things. He created heaven, earth, and humanity. He's the creator of God. And he is, I'm going to write two words down. This is a kind of theology lesson today for you, but it'll help you because you need to think about these things, right? What are we doing? We're going what? deeper, right? So you need to know these terms, that our God is both transcendent and eminent. Let me talk about these two words for a moment. Theism says there's a God who created everything, us, and He is first of all the transcendent God. What does that mean? He's bigger than what He created, okay? That is, God transcends everything. He's greater than the universe that he made. The universe was made because he's the awesome and mighty God, right? When God said, let there be light, it came from the, 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 the dimension that he is, in fact, light himself. And so he transcends even the greatness of the universe. He's bigger than what he's created, but at the same time, he's also imminent. That is, he is actively involved in his creation. He's not, he transcends it, but he's also actively involved in it. So theism says, I believe that there is a God who created heaven and earth and humanity, and he is bigger than all that he created, but he's also involved in everything that he created. 
And so this is an operating system. You will have one of these seven that will control your life or some combination of these seven. Do you know that's what, let me say it this way, a worldly Christian is a Christian who has made a decision to give their life at some level to Christ, but they're still operating in their thinking and a mindset of the world. They're still buying into hedonism or relativism or whatever it might be. They haven't fully come into the category of theism. And so going deeper with God means that you think about your mindset because what you need to have and I need to have in my life is I need to have, you need to have your mind renewed, right? You need to have a biblical worldview. Say that with me. A biblical worldview. You don't want a world's worldview. You want a biblical worldview. And when you have a biblical worldview, it will inform every other decision that you have in your life. So you're cleaning out the bad stuff from your soul, and you're getting the right kind of thinking in the operating system of your soul, the way you think, so that you can begin to make the right decisions on the basis of a biblical worldview. Okay? So the first thing is, what's the moral authority in life? Which of these philosophies are most dominant in your life? Let's go to the second point that I want to share with you today, and that's that your belief in God needs to be firm. Now, we've understood there are different dimensions of moral authority, different philosophies, so let's now talk about what our belief is related to God. And so, all that I can do for you today is to share with you uh, what, are, what, what my convictions are in relationship to God. Obviously, because I'm standing before you and preaching and sharing and teaching, I'm a Bible teacher to you, so I'm going to tell you what I have learned in my own life and what I hold to in my own life related to my convictions. Now, I fully understand that my convictions can't be your convictions. You have to get your own convictions, right? But I can help you get there, okay? So what I want to do today is to help you form good, solid, biblical convictions related to God. So I'm going to share with you five key convictions that I have about God. I believe that many of you, if not all of you, will share these same convictions. But let's take time to investigate them because we don't want to live on the shallow. We want to go where? Deeper, right? First of all, I have a firm belief that God exists. I'm solidly convinced that God exists. I base this upon Scripture. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Bible says it is foolish to say there is no God. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare, that is the the firmament, the heavens that God created, declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. When you go out in the morning, you see a beautiful sunrise. You know what that sunrise is declaring? The glory of God. When you walk out at dusk and you see a beautiful sunset, what is that sunset preaching to you? The glory of God. When you look up at the sky at night and see the moon and the stars in place or the sun during the day and the clouds floating by and this amazing world, the beauty of nature that God created. Every time you see nature, what it's declaring to you is the glory of God. Nature preaches people a message every day, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. The earth is proclaiming the glory of Almighty God declaring his goodness who could have created how could this have happened by accident it was a, it was the result of creation 
Romans chapter 1, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Without excuse related to what? Without excuse to deny that there is a God. Hebrews 11, verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I will stand here today on a bedrock conviction of my life and declare to you, as I'm sure many of you would, God is real. God exists. Amen. Number two. I have a strong conviction based upon Scripture that God is good. I'm thoroughly convinced that God is a good God. There's no badness in God. There's not a dimension. God cannot be bad because He's only good. He, by His very nature, He is good. Psalm 34, verse 8, examine and see how good the Lord is. Happy is the person who trusts Him. Psalm 136, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for He is, by His nature. What is He? He is good. His love endures forever. Romans 2, verse 4, He has been very kind and patient, waiting for you to change, but you think nothing of His kindness. Perhaps you do not understand that God is is kind to you so you will change your hearts and live that is the goodness of God the scripture says in one translation leads you to change your repentance and then Romans 8 verse 28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose as a classic question that comes up time and time again if God is so good why there's so why is there so much evil in the world why there's so much pain in the world. I don't have time today to go into the different aspects of the answer to that question, but the basic answer to that question is very, very simple. Although God is good, man is evil. And God, when He created us, was so good to give us a free will. See, if God had not given you a free will, all you would be is a puppet. That's all you would be, just a puppet. But when God made you and me, He gave you this amazing gift called a free will. And you and I get to choose. And going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve made a bad choice. God said, don't eat of that tree. And Adam and Eve said, let's eat of that tree. And they disobeyed God and sin entered the world and we have been tainted by sin. That's why we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer who redeems us from it. And so the world has evil in it because there are evil people in the world. Let me tell you one other thing before we move on to the next point. I promise you that God is in a redemptive plan and process that He's going to wrap all this up and conquer evil for good and forever and His kingdom will reign forever and ever. Evil will not prevail forever for eternity there's a plan of good and it's on the march amen there's a plan for good and God is marching out his good purposes as you and I learn to cooperate with him all right so I believe that God exists and I believe that God is good if you believe the same thing would you say that with me I believe that God exists and I believe that God is good number three a bedrock conviction that I have in my life I think that you may share it with me is that God's word is true and powerful. I believe that to the core of my being. I believe this book called the Bible is true. I believe that it's a miracle book that God gave us. And as I have studied it, 
seen the fulfillments of prop, many fulfillments of prophecies through the years, see the internal consistency of this book. It was written over 1,600 to 2,000 years by 40 different authors at different times, but the message is consistent. I mean, you can't even write three emails over a week and they'd be consistent, okay? But here's God who gives us this amazing book. How many lives have been changed by How many times have I opened up this book in my life over the years that I've lived and found something that was life-giving to me, that changed me and fed me and kept me going in the moment? I believe that God's Word is true, and I believe that God's Word is powerful, and I believe that God's Word is the authority for my life and for my practice. The psalm, psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 105, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. If I'm going to see what I need to see, if I'm going to have the light necessary to walk out my life in this world, I need the Word of God. It's the lamp to my feet, the light to my path. Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's Word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him. I love Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're right. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. God means what he says. What he says, he does. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. And James 1:21 says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the Word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. I believe that God exists. I believe that God is good. I believe that God's Word is true and that God's Word is powerful. And fourthly, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. This is so important. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we believe the Bible to be the true and inspired word of God, which I've just declared that I do, and I'm sure that many of you share that same conviction, then we need to pay attention to what the Scripture says and how it says it and what Jesus said. He, said, he didn't say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. There's a definite article that's used in that. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's to the exclusion of other ways, truths, and lives. Jesus said, you must know that there's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to truth. There's only one way to life, and that is found in me. Now, how could Jesus make that statement? Jesus could only make that statement if he was an arrogant fool or if he was really who he said he was. How can you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
unless you really are the way, the truth, and the life. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is Jesus truly the way, the truth, and the life? Well, the apostles who spent time with Jesus made an observation about him, especially the apostle John. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, as John finished up his wonderful book, this wonderful story of Jesus' life and ministry, he writes these words, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. John said, we saw a lot more miracles, don't have time to tell you all about them, but I wrote you some of them so that you would know and believe and continue to believe that Jesus is who He said He is. He didn't just say, I am the way the truth and the life he backed it up by his power he backed it up by his power the greatest power of all that Jesus demonstrated was power over death itself Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse number 1 this letter is from Paul a slave of Christ Jesus chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the holy scriptures the good news is about his son In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. You must understand this. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he had to back this up. Because if he was the way, the truth, and the life, either he's saying something false or it's the real deal because he is the real deal. John said he's the real deal. We watched him. We saw his miracles. Can't even tell you all that we saw. But the ones we recorded is so you would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you'll have power in his name. So we saw it. We've witnessed it. And then... uh, Paul comes along and says, by the way, Jesus also demonstrated that he was the real deal by the fact that he he was raised from the dead. This is so important. This is what I'm about to preach an Easter message for you, and it's not even Christmas, all right? Okay, is that okay? And I've got just a short time to do it, so I'm going to give you the very quick, you're going to get the, the Cliff Notes version of this message, okay? All the other religious leaders of time, by the way, Jesus really wasn't a religious leader. He came as the Savior, the Messiah. So he didn't come to start a religion. He came to give us a way to God. Okay, so don't think of Jesus in religious terms. But let me just use that for, for application purposes, teaching purposes today. Anybody else that's ever come along the scene over the history of mankind, history of the world, and proclaimed some kind of truth, or they were a prophet, or they were, you know, that God spoke to them about something here or something. Not a single one of them. They were the enlightened one or whatever it might have been. Not a single one of them ever claimed to be able to rise from the dead, nor is there any record of them ever rising from the dead. There's only one who came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and death cannot hold me because I am life, okay? Okay. Only one, okay? And Jesus, on Easter morning, when they went to the tomb, when Mary went to the tomb and the other disciples went to the tomb, here's what you must understand. They discovered an empty tomb, okay? They discovered an empty tomb there. 
Well, did somebody steal the body? No, because Jesus then appeared to them later. And here were these, here's what you must get. Here were these doubtful, fearful disciples living in fear until Jesus revealed himself to them as the resurrected Savior and filled them with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly these fearful, timid little guys that were hiding for fear of the Jews come out boldly and begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they knew that Jesus was alive. They knew that they served a living Savior. It transformed them. The Apostle Paul, or by, by the way, he wasn't originally the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was on the road to Damascus one day because he didn't believe in this stuff. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he's on the road to Damascus to go and persecute believers in Damascus, Syria, because they had faith in Christ. And on the road, a light came from heaven. Read about it in Acts chapter 9. And knocked him to the ground and said, Saul, who are you persecuting? Don't you know who... Don't you know who I am? And there in that moment, Saul of Tarsus, who is a dedicated persecutor of the faith of people in Jesus Christ, had a radical encounter with the resurrected Savior. It was, a resur- it was an appearance of the resurrected Savior to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And he got up and he ceased being a persecutor of the church and became a preacher of the church. Okay? Why? Because he encountered the living Savior. I Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Messiah. I believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father except by Him and that He has made a way for anyone who will put their faith in Him to have eternal salvation. I believe that we have a loving, amazing, incredible, living Savior. I believe in Him. The early church... Don't clap because you're taking up my time, okay? The early church, I'm, I'm joking with you, okay? The early church, and about th- in the 300s or so, there's kind of maybe some ideas that started formulating about this early in church history. The early 300s, the uh, church uh, leaders came together because a lot of heresies starting to form about who Jesus was and what, you know, all these different things. And so they said, we've got to have a solid sense of, of, of affirmation about what we believe. What are our convictions about Jesus? And they penned something called the Apostles' Creed. Have you ever heard the Apostles' Creed before? Okay. I want, us to, I want you to look at your notes there. And I want us to read the Apostles' Creed together. And uh, let's just affirm it in, with, with our public reading of it. Are you ready? Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And if you believe these things, would you say, Amen. Amen. Number five, final conviction I will give you today that we'll look at together. This is the operating system of your life. I believe that God is personal and God is powerful. God's not distant. He is personal and He's also powerful. 
Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Jesus' words. What is the price of five sparrows? A couple of pennies? Not much more than that. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And he knows the number of hairs on your head. Never fear, you are far more valuable to him than a whole flock of sparrows. Jesus is saying, God knows everything about you. That's how personal he is. I don't think there could be any more, personal, any more element of your life that would be personal than knowing how many hairs you have on your head. That's pretty personal, isn't it? Because for many of us, most of us, he has to keep an account daily, okay? Right? And so if at any point in time he knows the number of hairs on your head, it means that he, he's counted recently. That's how, that's how intimately he's related to you. That's how much he cares about you. Look at this next passage that we have here. Matthew 8, verse 23 through 27. Note the personal nature of God. Then Jesus got into the boat and started out across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? Why have so little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the wind and waves obey him. Why did I give you that story? Because I want you to see there are 12 guys in a boat. They're worried about dying. That's the story, isn't it? They're out on a lake, and they're worried, are we going to make a storm that comes up? And everybody in this room can relate to this. That as you're going your way in life, you have storms that come up at times, Right? Boom, here comes a storm. And when you and I face storms in life, our natural response is fear. Am I going to make it? Will I get through this? And Jesus, in this boat, he was awakened and he tells these guys, don't, don't give in to fear. Build a life of faith. Have the faith to know that whatever you go through in your life, I'm always in the boat with you. Did you hear that? Okay. That's how personal Jesus is. But whatever you're going through in your life right now, you don't need to be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is personal. He is in the boat with you right now. You don't have to search and find him somewhere. He is right with you in this moment. That is the personal, personal nature of God. And what that means is this. Just as he got the disciples through their storm, he will get you through your storms of life as well. That's the personal, powerful nature of God. What am I sharing with you this morning? I'm telling you that the most important thing is your soul. What's going on down in your soul. And it's not just a matter of getting the bad stuff out. You've got to make sure you get the right convictions in. Because the right convictions of your life, what, you're, what you are willing to live for, and if necessary, die for, is the operating system that will guide everything that you do in life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful for the truth of your word, for the fact that we have a solid foundation upon which to build our lives. And I pray that each one of us would dig deep and establish firm, solid convictions in our life that will not be shaken by the world around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. 
Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.